Good morning. It's good to see you this weekend. Thanks for being with us. I want to shout out to the Mobile Campus guys. Thanks for being part of our weekend experience and all that are online, our online campus. Thanks for being there. We, we actually have a team of youth that are in Honduras. Uh, they got there yesterday, and they're in a community today where we're building a church for Pastor Oscar, as we refer to him. And they're there doing children's church uh, this morning, this afternoon. They'll be at our campus in Honduras. Pastor Dale will be speaking, so they, at 4 o'clock this afternoon, they'll be in service there. Keep them in your prayers for safety, protection, but also that they will just have an encounter with God because in that setting where you're in orphanages and you're in schools and you're, in, you're ministering and reaching out to the poorest of the poor, God just has the ability to change your life. So we want that to happen to these young guys. So uh, we'll hear a good report when they return. Also, uh, those of you who are... Uh, part of the Foley launch team, or you live in Foley, Orange Beach, Gulf Shores, Somerdale, in that area, uh, we are launching on Father's Day, which is just a couple weeks away, and we have cards for you at the Info Center if you want to go by and pick them up, hand out to your friends. We're really excited about that, and uh, I know a lot of you are working hard to get everything ramped up for that weekend, so thank you so much for that. Well, if you have your device, or if you have a Bible, whatever you have, and you want to turn to Mark 10 and to John 19, We'll look at uh, some text there, and, and we're in the last message in this series entitled Face to Face, where we have actually uh, been looking at real-life encounters that people had with Jesus while he was on the earth. From these encounters, we're picking up things about God. We're learning things about God's character, his nature, and how, he's, how, how he responds to us. And here's why that's important. It, it makes a difference what you believe about God. If you believe God is hard and critical and, and, and cynical and, and stern, then that's going to reflect how you relate to him. If you think he's loving and compassionate and merciful, then that's how, that's how you're going to relate to him. Uh, so what you think about God determines your relationship with him. And we've looked at people who have had actual encounters with Jesus, and we're trying to learn more about how that can affect our lives. We've looked at Mary Magdalene and the lame man and... Uh, the Samaritan woman, Mary, the mother of Jesus. This weekend, we're going to look at a guy that we call the rich young ruler. Uh, the, the reason we call him the rich young ruler is because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, they, they record he was rich. All three of those record he was rich. Matthew adds to it that he's young. Luke says he's a ruler. So when you put it all together, you have the rich young ruler. Now, many theologians believe they know who this, who this was, because there was a man who was referred to in Jewish history as the richest, youngest ruler Israel ever had. We'll talk about that toward the end of the message. I want to get into the storyline. You know the storyline. It's in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Let's pick up there. Now, as he, Jesus, was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good but one, that's God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, in heaven. and then come, take up your cross and follow me. He was sad at this word, went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
So I want to look at the rich young ruler. I want to look at two or three things that he learned from this encounter. Here's the first one. All of these we can take away for us. Here's the first one. Good is not good enough. Good is not good enough. Let me show you this same story in, in, in another gospel in Matthew 19 and 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? What good thing do I need to do so I can go to heaven? And he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good but one. That's God. The focus of this young guy is on being good enough, doing enough good things to get to heaven. And that's how many people think today. You, you talk to the average person on the street, how do you get to heaven? Most people are going to say, do good, be good. In fact, we, we even have this ingrained in our religions because the more good things you do, the better it is for you. So in the mindset is, well, when we get to heaven, you, you, you hit the button and you're going to see what tallies up, more good, more bad. And, and, and that, that's not how you get to heaven. That, that's not the way you're, you're going to get there. And when he hears this coming from this guy, this is the mindset he has. We have the same mindset today. He imme- Jesus immediately responds and, and, and he makes this statement. And a lot of people have misunderstood this statement. Don't call me good. There's only one good. That's God. Now, we all know, we've been discussing this now for six weeks, that Jesus is God. He's on the earth in the form of human flesh, but he's God. So why would he make this statement? Because he's wanting to let us know, let this young man know, that there's only one good enough, and that's God. We can talk about being good enough all day long, but it, it, it's, there is no one that's good enough except God. And, and by the way, our word, in, in the literal English translation, our word good actually came from the word God. And so because he is good, he is a good God, and he is the only one is good. And that's what Jesus is saying to this rich young ruler who runs up and says, what do I have to do? What good thing do I need to do so that I can go to heaven? And Jesus said, hold on a second, that there's, there's only one good. There's only one good enough to be in heaven. That there's only one good enough to live in heaven. See, good is not good enough. No matter how good you are, it's not good enough. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't do good it doesn't mean we shouldn't teach our children to do good it it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do good things when you become a believer listen you are saved to good works not by good works all of your good works is not going to save you you are saved to good works god wants us to do good things but doing good is not enough to get us to heaven we teach our children to do good i mean we do that's what we want we want them to do good. And, and listen, you notice when they do good, they're quick to let you know they did good. Right? I mean, they, they want to brag. And guess where they get that from? <laughs> you. Yeah. That, that, that's where they get it. And, and it's fine. I, I mean, you, know, you, you think about our kids, how they want to please and they want affirmation. And so they do these good things. And, and they'll say, you know, I, I remember once one of, my, one of my sons hit the other son. And, and I said to him, did you hit your brother? And he pauses, his wheels turning, and he says, yes, in the stomach, but not in the head. <laughs> to him, hitting in the stomach was good, hitting in the head was bad. So that's the way we are. Here, here's the way we are. I know I've been bad, but I haven't been that bad. Listen, one thing wrong, that you're bad. According to Scripture, if you've messed up at one point of the law, you fail the whole law. 
Now, many of you won't know who this person is, so I'm going to help you. The older people will. But there's now there's a show, there's a new host to a show that's been around forever called The Tonight Show. Jimmy Fallon's the host, and before Jimmy Fallon was Jay Leno. Before Jay Leno was a guy named Johnny Carson, and only old people remember Johnny Carson, right? Years ago, Johnny Carson actually had Billy Graham on his show. And he asked Billy Graham, have you ever broken any of the Ten Commandments? And here's what, here's what Reverend Graham said. I've broken all of them. And Carson's kind of taken back. He said, murder? Adultery? And then Billy Graham said, according to the Bible, if you've broken one, you've broken all of them. All of them. See, you're, you're not good enough to go to heaven. You have to rely on the one who came to the earth who is good enough to get us to heaven. You have to rely on him because you're not good enough. So this young rich ruler, his thinking is going down this line of being good enough. What can I do to be good enough? So Jesus is saying, okay, I'm going to go down this line with you so I can teach you something. Now, I want you to help me with this. I know, I know this is, you're going to feel like a child in this, but both, most of you still are. Uh, how many commandments did he list? Well, let's count them. In Mark 10, 19, watch what Jesus does. He says to the guy, do you know the commandments? So I'm about the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. It's a slow group. Let's do it one more time. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. This group's strong over here. Go this way a little bit. Honor your father and mother. Are there six or ten commandments? I mean, Jesus wrote these a long time before this and gave them to Moses. Did he forget the other four? Oh, no, no, no. He purposely named six. Here's why. The commandments are divided into two categories. The first four have to do with our relationship with God. The last six have to do with our relationship with people, how we relate to people. Jesus comes along while he's on the earth. He takes the ten, and he puts them all together into two. He said the whole thing is wrapped up in love God and love others. Love God and love people. So he only named to this young man the commandments that had to do with loving others. He, he didn't touch the other four. Here's why. Because Jesus could not have named the first commandment. Because remember, he knows everything. So he knows what's in this guy's heart. Because the first commandment was thou shalt not have other gods before me. Because he knew this young man, rich young ruler, could not have said, I've kept them all, because Jesus knew exactly what he had before God. And in this guy's case, it was his possessions. His possessions were between him and God, his money, his wealth. So Jesus explains to him, and this is the first encounter. This guy is talking to God, personally talking to God, and he says, hey, what good thing can I go to heaven with? And God responds, it does not matter how good you are, you can do all the good you want, but you will still not be good enough to get into heaven. So that's one thing you learn. Here's the second thing you learn. God required total commitment. I wonder how this guy felt because, you know, the first thing out of Jesus' mouth, I mean, he talks about the commandments and the guy says, oh yeah, I've known those, I've heard those all my life. And the, Jesus says, oh, but there's one more thing. One more thing. One thing you're lacking now, in my mind, he's thinking, okay, well, I know the Ten Commandments. He said I'm good there. Uh, okay, but there's one more. So what is the one more? Well, what is the one more thing that I need to do so that I can go to heaven? You, you, you see, that's how we are in religion. Tell me one more thing to do. One, one more thing to do. That's the way we are. That's the way we think. That's why, the way religion does it. 
do more good than bad things. Now, now listen to me. If you don't take anything away, take this away. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with God. So every religion in the world is based on works. You have to do this. You have to do it so many times. You have to do it so many times a day. You've got to go to a certain city, a certain time of the year. You've got to do this. got to do this. It's all based on works. Knock on so many doors. Do this. Do this. Do this. It's all, Christianity is based on grace. This guy has religion in his mind, and Jesus says, oh, there's one thing you lack. He's thinking of another. Let, okay, here's number 11. He said the one thing, go your way, sell your treasures, pick up your cross, and follow me. He wasn't expecting that. Now, I, I, I know you're in church, and I know you're going to give me the church answer, but would you give up everything to go to heaven? Give me the church answer, at least. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, that's what we're supposed to say, but if it boils down to it, you would give it up to go to heaven, right? It's hell or heaven, right? Pick it, okay. So, but are you giving up every day? Now, and, and, and let me just say this. It's amazing to me. People who say, oh, I'm, I'm, I am totally in with Christ. I'm a Christian. I, I, I'm giving 100% to God, yet they still gripe when you talk about 10% tithe. Yeah, and if that steps on your toes, good. People say, oh, I've given everything to God. You want me to give how much? Uh, it's what the Word says. And it doesn't say give the tithe. It says bring the tithe. You give offerings, you bring tithe. Why do you bring? Because it doesn't belong to you. You bring it to the house of the Lord. Okay, that's a whole other sermon I'll get off on. God requires total commitment. That's what he's telling this guy. And it's no different than what he tells us today. We, we're, all, it, we're all in the same boat. To get saved, it takes total commitment. Now, don't, don't answer this question out loud. And I've said this in every service this weekend. Somebody always does. Did he tell this guy to sell everything to go to heaven? No, he didn't. Now, now look at it in Matthew 19, 21. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Here's what he's saying. You, you want to know how to get to heaven? Take up your cross and follow me. But there is something keeping you from taking up your cross and following me. And for you, sir... It's your possessions. It's your wealth. That's what's stopping you. The way you get to heaven is you take up your cross, you follow me. But what's stopping you, sir, is your possessions. So you need to get rid of what is stopping you. You need to get rid of what's in between me and you. I need all of your heart. This man's obstacle was his possessions. Listen, every person gets saved the same way. You deny him. He denies himself. She denies herself. You take up your cross, you follow him. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, does anyone, do, would that fit us today? Fast forward from the, from, from the New Testament, does that fit us? Anyone? Yes, it does. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Selling everything he had was the easy part. Jesus is saying to him, now in that in that culture, in that time, when he says, you got to pick up your cross, they knew what the cross represented. They knew this was die hard, this was painful death in, in the literal, but, but, it, but it's the same for every person. You, you've got to lay down self and take up your cross. So he said, well, 
I, you, you may think, well, I'm glad I'm not the rich young ruler and had to sell everything to go to heaven. No, every person has to be totally committed to God to go to heaven. God requires the same commitment out of every person. Here's what he wants. Watch. He wants you totally committed to him, for him, and on him. When you put something between him and you, then your commitment is divided and you're putting some interest in that thing. Whether it's a person, a relationship, a job, security, your, your future, your home, your, 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 your possessions, your wealth, whatever it is, that's not what he wants you to be completely dependent on him. And let me tell you, being dependent on him is the best way to go because anything and everything else can, can, can disappoint you. Right? So here's what he learned, rich young ruler. If you're going to be a believer, I'm not good enough. I, I can't save myself. Number two, I've got to be totally committed. Number three, Jesus totally loved him. This is what he learned. He totally loved him. Now watch this, Mark 10, 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I think he sensed it. I think he felt this love. And he said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. Loved him. God loves everyone, and he loved this guy enough to tell him, listen, I want you to go to heaven, but there's one thing in the middle here. There's one thing blocking this. He loves him enough to tell him the truth. As your pastor, I love you enough to tell you the truth, what the Word of God says. I want you to hear the truth. And so here's a guy, he's hearing the truth, and he says, listen, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to be totally committed. So what is stopping you from being totally committed? And that's what Jesus is saying to you. Hey, I love you enough that in this message, in this little sermon, that you're going to hear something, and God's going to identify what's stopping you. Let, let me clear up a couple of misconceptions about this little story. We, we've heard that you know he had to sell everything to get saved there's some that believe that that's not true another misconception is the bible doesn't say he didn't do it we just assume that you probably grew up and you and if you grew up in church you probably assume he just didn't do it well the bible just says he went away sad and, and you would too jesus comes up to you and says sell everything you have and give it to the poor you, you'd kind of be sad too because you like your stuff you want your stuff and you know, why, why do i need to sell it well you'd be sad he's sad Many theologians believe they know who this man is. He comes to Jesus, actually two times. Both times he calls him teacher, but it's a different word for teacher than the original word. It's, it's, and he's the only one that uses it this way. He uses a specific word, and, and, and many believe that this guy was Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the guy who came to Jesus by night and found out he needed to be born again. He'd never heard the phrase. First time it's been used in the Bible. I did a message on this the Sunday before Easter called Fully Alive. You can go back and listen to it again. It's Nicodemus' story. It's the other side of it. It's one side of it. I'm going to give you the other side of it. Something happens to Nicodemus. He's in church. He loves God. He believes in Jesus. And Jesus says you need to be born again. Guess what? He gets born again. He becomes a believer. He is on the Sanhedrin. That, like, that would like be, being on the Supreme Court of the United States. He, he, he defends Jesus to the Sanhedrin court. He gets kicked out of the Sanhedrin court because he's a believer. He has a, he has a famous brother. Nicodemus, his last name is Ben-Gorion. His brother's name is Josephus. 
Now, if you don't know who that is, Josephus is the historian, the most famous historian of that day. I told you in this series, a lot of this is biblical fact, biblical truth, and a lot of this is historical information. Most of this historical information comes from Josephus Ben-Gorion, and and this is his brother. In his writings, Josephus talks about his brother Nicodemus, and here's what he says about him. He says he's the wealthiest man of all Israel, that he had enough money to run the entire country of Israel for 10 years. That's how wealthy he was. And he says he was the youngest ever to be on the Sanhedrin, ever. They referred to him, the Jewish people referred to him as the richest, youngest ruler ever in Israel. Another reason we believe Nicodemus was this guy is history tells us, his brother tells us, that Nicodemus sold everything he had and he gave it to the poor. And he says in historical fact that for the next 30 years of his life, he had to actually live with friends and among friends because he had no place to live and he had no money. Guess who his best friend was? A guy named Joseph of Arimathea. Watch this, John 19, verse 38. After this, Jesus has died. They're taking his body off the cross. Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, he's an underground Christian because he's afraid the Jews will kill him, asked Pilate, the governor, did he take away the body of Jesus? And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. And look at verse 39. And Nicodemus, same guy, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came to help Joseph, bringing in a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. And then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in in strips of linen with spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So Nicodemus shows up. Jesus has died. He shows up. He helps embalm Jesus and puts him in a borrowed tomb. You may say, well, why didn't he put him in his own tomb as he's the richest guy in the whole country? Because he sold everything he had. He sold his homes, his tombs. He he sold everything. And and so what he had to do, he had to talk his best friend, Joseph, into giving up his tomb. And he sold it from the standpoint it was a good deal because he only needed it three days. (laughs) It's barely used. You get it back. See, no no one really knows, but history says it's very possible he sold everything because he wanted Jesus more than things. Watch, the Bible says he goes away sad, he has great possessions, but he didn't hear the next part. He walks away, the disciples are standing there, and in verse 23 in Mark 10, Jesus looked around, he said to the disciples, he's walked away, he did not hear this, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at this word, and we were too. A lot of us grew up hearing this, okay? You know, it's all been out of place. I'm going to help you with it. They were, the disciples were astonished. Here's why they were astonished, because some of them would have been considered a wealthy person, the tax collector, naturally. But the fishermen, only two people found humor in that at all. The fishermen. Well, I thought fishermen were poor. No, you read it. When Jesus called the fishermen to leave their boats and nets, it says they gave their nets to their hired servants. Poor people didn't have hired servants. So they're, they're affluent. They, 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 they have resources. And, and, and listen, just so you know, the rest of the world that we live in, everybody listening to me right now, you're considered wealthy compared to the rest of the world. 
And, and so you may say, well, oh, it's hard, to, it's, it's hard if you have riches to get into the kingdom of God. And, 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 and so they're saying, Jesus, don't tell us that. We, we, we don't want to hear that. And then, then watch what Jesus said in verse 24. And his disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, watch what he said, children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? Then he gives an illustration. Now, I, I, I was a children's pastor 20 years. I, I see this as an object lesson, okay? I'm, I'm going to show you where it's been taken down the wrong path, I think, and, and it, it, to me it is an object lesson. In verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The key is verse 24, those who trust in riches. It's hard. If you trust in riches, in other words, you've put something between you and God. Your possessions, your security, your, your finance, whatever. It, 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 you trust in that. It's going to be hard for you to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 26, and now they're greatly astonished, saying among themselves, well, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So here's what I see. I see then Jesus adds this illustration at the end of a camel going through the eye of a needle. The eye of a needle, you take a sewing needle that has a little eye at the front, and you're taking this full-grown camel, and you, there is no way it's impossible to get that camel through that little eye. Now, some have said, and, and some say there was a camel gate. I, I've been there many times. I've talked to many Jewish people there and, and leaders and different ones, and, and they've heard this story, but no one knows where it is, Okay. I think it's an object lesson. And, and, and listen, here, here's what I've heard taught and said about this camel's gate, that there was a gate that was so small that you had to strip the camel down with all of its, all of its uh, baggage and, and stuff it's carrying. You had to put the camel on a 40-day fast so it could slim down, put knee pads on so it could get on its knees and get it to worm its way through this little bitty place. Uh, seriously, that's what I've heard taught. If that, if that is the case then it would be possible. He's trying to get you to see the point. It is impossible for you to save yourself. It is impossible for you to be good enough. That, that's the illustration. And, and, and then here's the other thing the rich young ruler didn't hear. I love this. And then Peter, in verse 28, Peter said to him, See, we have left all to follow you, Lord. Look, we, we did what you said. And Jesus answered and said, Surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house, brother, sister, father, mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. A hundredfold in what? In houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands. Then he adds two words he could have left out, with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Here's what impresses me about Nicodemus. He never heard about the hundredfold return. That's not what motivated him. What motivated him was he didn't want anything between him and Jesus, and he wanted to be like Jesus. You say, yeah, but he gave it all away, and he, he, he was, he's kind of, you know, bumming around for 30 years. No, he had everything. He had, he had the church. He had the body of Christ. He had more brothers and sisters. He had, he had more joy, more peace than what he, whatever he gave up. Now, what I have given you is a picture of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. Okay? Good news is not good news unless you have bad news first. In other words, if you don't have the bad news first, then it's just news. You've got to have bad news to have good news. 
So here's the bad news. Of the, let me give you the good news of this message. I'm almost finished, okay? That's the good news for you because I know you're hungry. You saw those hamburgers on that video and you're ready to get out of here. Okay, here, here's the bad news of this message. Point one, can't be good enough. That's the bad news of the gospel. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. Point three, the good news is Jesus still loves you. You're not good enough. And he knows what's in your heart. He knows what's blocking that relationship. But the good news is Jesus still loves you. But watch, point two of this message, total commitment is the bridge of how you get out of the bad news and get to the good news. Did y'all get that? Okay. So what is the one thing keeping you from total commitment? Jesus said to this guy, hey, follow me. You're going to have to be totally committed. What is that one thing? And if you're a believer or not a believer, what is the one thing? Is it success? Is it a sin? Is it possessions? Is it bitterness? Is it unforgiveness? Is it relationship? Is it people? What's the one thing? What's your one thing? Because listen, in your own strength, you can't, it is impossible for you to overcome it. You need God because God, with him, all things are possible, but you have to be willing to give that one thing up. And, and let me add this to the end of this. This story is not saying that God does not want you to have possessions and wealth and finances. That's not what it's saying at all. In fact, the way the kingdom is advanced is that he, God's people are blessed and prosper and they have finances and that's how the kingdom is advanced. So what's he saying? He's giving this as an example to not allow our wealth or our possessions to come between our commitment. Because if we, if we could get any, if we, whatever's in the way, if we can get it out of the way, here's what he does. Don't, here's what we do. We want to trust in things instead of totally committed. He says, if you get this thing out of the way, whatever it is, and you're totally committed to me, then I can trust you and I will open the windows of heaven and I can bless you because now I can trust you and I know that you're not going to allow anything to come in the way of our relationship because you value my relationship with you more than anything else. You get that? And, and, and listen, I, I had a young man say to me uh, last night, uh, but, but how, how, do you, how, how do you stay total committed? Uh, you know, is this perfection? And I said, no, it's not perfection. He said, I'm trying to be co totally committed, but I mess up every day. I have to go to him every day. I said, that's great. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. He wants you to come to him every day and not go to something else in its place and let that something else in its place try to help you because eventually, watch, you will grow and mature and he'll help you and you'll get out of that one thing. And honestly, this is what I think. I feel, I, I feel like there'll always be something there as a challenge between you and God. There's always going to be something. It's just our nature. Whether it, maybe it's possessions and then, then two years later it's something else or somebody. I mean, there's always, there's, there's that challenge. So what is he looking for? He's looking for you to take up your cross and follow him. He's looking for you to be totally committed. And when you're committed, then he's going to reply back to your life and he's going to bless you and he's going to use you just like he did Nicodemus. What does that look like? Only he knows and he can tell you. You good? I want to pray for you. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much that you did not 
come to instill the law and put the law on us, but you came with grace and mercy. May we receive the grace and mercy, and may your spirit speak truth to us that, and identify what is that one thing? What is the one thing we lack? What is the one thing we need to remove? Only you can identify that. And I pray you will speak to the hearts of your people. May this word be soaked in their hearts that you can receive, uh, they can receive from you what you're trying to identify to them so that we can remove that obstacle so we can stay totally committed so you can fulfill your purpose in our lives. And we give you thanks for that in Christ's name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.